Okay, welcome back. Howdy doody. Uh, this is Inner Name Here. The podcast. <laughs> That's right. And you <laughs> welcome back to the uh, last installment for the October Thon. Yeah, I was thinking Scary Thon. No, October Thon, which has been, you know, pretty fun to do. This this time we're gonna do uh super supernatural stuff, so Yeah, I felt like the topics were uh pretty easy to to pick yeah. for the most part. Well, there's a lot of that stuff. Well we've also been doing a little pre planning, which helps. All yes. you folks out there who don't pre plan, like wow. Yeah, I don't know how you do it. I mean, we, we're always like the top of our planning game. Um, yeah, so if you want to get in touch with us, email us. Chris knows that. Oh, do I? Intername here podcast at gmail.com. Yeah, follow us on Facebook, Intername here, Instagram, Intername here yeah. podcast. And I do have a funny story about the email address because okay. I sent us a, a link for something uh, earlier this week. And at first, I sent it to the wrong email address. Mm, nice. <laughs> send it to send it, it send it to yahoo.com. Well, I had for a while. Yeah, I had it, I had it was missing a letter, so like <laughs> nobody could even find it anyway. So yeah, it's intername here podcast at gmail.com. Yes. Um, remember, hate mail for Chris only. <laughs> right. So before we get to talking about the supernatural stuff, I guess you know we're coming up on uh, Halloween, right? So happy Halloween. We're gonna talk about some Halloween stuff, I guess. Um. You guess. You sound like you want to. Yeah. You're, I guess. You're, I love Halloween. It's great. Zach's all in. I um, so it, it started in, what, the 1840s, right, with Irish immigrants? In, in America. In America, yes. right. Because yeah. originally the whole thing started hundreds, hundreds and thousands. Thousands, it yes. Was, uh, what, Samhain. Samhain. Spelled Samhain. Samhain, okay. Yeah, it's a Celtic celebration. Samhain. It was a Probably festival. Probably not said like that at all then. Well, it's telling me pronounced Samhain. Okay. All right. <laughs> so, a festival that marked the end of the harvest season and ushered in a new year. So, during Samhain, the veil between the worlds of the living and the dead was uh, thought to be at its thinnest, so you could communicate with your loved ones. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, that was like the origins of Halloween. Well, they Americanized Halloween. They sure did. <clears throat> they uh, threw some money That was in the 1840s. And, uh, basically... I guess people just felt like dressing up for some reason. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, the dressing really up part, I was having trouble. Uh, I didn't really find out when I mean, that does really it came about. have to do with disguising yourself from all of the uh, spirits and demons that I may be that, uh, walking afoot? I think so, yeah. Yeah, for All, all Hallows' Eve. And, you know, it's to, the time of year to... The veil between the dead and the living is thin, right? Is mm -hmm. that what you said? Yeah. yeah so, yeah. the... Uh, Custom of Halloween came to America in the 1840s, and people would do pranks. If you didn't give a treat, then you got a trick, which often included, in New England at least, was like tipping over outhouses and unhinging fence gates. Wow, crazy times. <laughs> Although the tipping over the outhouses is kind of funny. Did a little bit of that earlier in the week myself. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the custom of trick-or-treating is thought to have Irish origins, possibly from a practice going door-to-door -to, -door to collect money and cake or another custom begging for soul cakes or offerings for one's dead, dead relatives. So, you know, obviously America got a hold of that and they were like, you know what we need to do is we need to, like, make candy. Find a way to sell it. <laughs> yeah, and they do sell it because... <clears throat> Six billion, six point nine billion dollars is spent on Halloween this year, which is insane. And I, I kind of approve of that one, right? In a weird way. 
Um, <laughs> Halloween's a good holiday. Two point six billion dollars of that is spent on costumes, Oof. which is crazy because I've every time I've ever dressed up is like just get just some stuff that you have and make something. You make you a know? damn good Walter though. Yeah, well, that's just me wearing clothes <laughs> that I have in a different order. Market zero, you know. Yeah, um, indeed. How much do you think people spend on pet costumes every year in the United States? Oh man, how much was it for humans? Two point six. Two point six billion. Billion. Yeah. So for pet costumes, I think it's going to be also mind blowing, but uh, we're going to put it at like nine million. Nine million? Yeah, mm. I'm sorry, ninety million. Oh, still really low. It's three hundred thirty million dollars <laughs> on pet costumes. Oh, I don't God. know. That seems like a lot, but I guess there's a lot of people that have like fifty costumes for their pet, right? Which I mean, it is fun to dress the animal <laughs> up. Two point eight billion dollars is spent on candy. So, wow. and then the remaining bit of that money is spent on decorations and cards and parties and stuff. So. I would think candy would be more than that, considering, although costumes are expensive. I the guess. amount, mm. the amount of money that we spend on Halloween is the entire GDP of New Z- of Zim- Zimbabwe. Sorry. <laughs> New Zimbabwe? Yes, New Zimbabwe. <laughs> so what we spend on Halloween is the entire GDP of Zimbabwe. Wow. And it's also the same amount that the United States debt grows every day makes your stomach hurt just like all that candy yeah uh what do you think the top favorite candy is of anything <clears throat> like for I, halloween yeah and i'm gonna <clears throat> tell you it's, it's it's not a specific thing it's a generalized thing so that's probably a giveaway it's like a general is it like peanut butter like that You're kind close, of generalized but thing? yeah that kind of that kind of thing but you were almost there with peanut butter yeah but it's not peanut butter but it's not peanut butter. Yeah, but think about candy. Chocolate? Yes. Okay. Chocolate yeah, is yeah, yeah. the number one candy. And uh, number two, can you give a guess what number two is? Because this one is really <laughs> odd to me. Oh, number two is actually odd to you? Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. Go ahead. What do you think number two is? Oh, um, is it some sort of berry flavor? Nope, it's not. Um, it, it's its own unique flavor. I'll give you that one because it's definitely. Well, I I wanted to say peanut butter to begin with, but I don't think that's what it is. Not uh, related to peanut butter at all. <laughs> not related to peanut no. butter. Is it? Um, gosh, and it's not fruity. Think of think of uh, Halloween specific candy. Halloween like candy corn. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which I like a candy corn, but also like. 35 million pounds of candy corn are made each year. I feel like we've had a candy corn conversation, and we were just as flabbergasted I mean, then as we I are like now. It, I like mean, it, but nobody ever seems to claim to like it, but they sell <laughs> th- 35 million pounds. Huh. They Americans purchase 600 million pounds of candy each year for Halloween. Well, that's because that company, was it Brock's or Brax, however you pronounce yeah. that? Like, they push it on you. I, I listened to a comedian once and said that somebody goes through from that company goes through all the dumpsters after Halloween and pulls out all the candy corn and repackages it. It's like fruitcakes. Right. The amount of candy alone that the United States purchases for Halloween, the, the weight is equal to six Titanics is what this thing is oh, saying. Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a that's a hell of a way to measure something wasn't that something we were talking about last weird season? measurements yeah, yeah. Like, that weighs as much as nine narwhals yeah and so yeah it weighs as much as a six, 18 titanics six titanics is six of them that's crazy full ship i guess maybe I'm full a, ship i mean without the water in it and the people it got heavier with the water <laughs> yeah. in it, you know uh too wow. soon i think yeah probably that was you know um low if blow. you were to 
if you took the candy corn kernels sold each year, if you laid them out end to end, it would go around the earth four and a quarter times. Yeah. Wow. And nobody seems to like these. I mean, I, I like them okay, people, but I think I, I like the pumpkins better because they're the same candy. Yeah, they're just a little they're denser, I guess, bigger. Yeah. Okay, so how do you eat a candy corn? We'll talk about that for a second. I eat throw the whole thing in my mouth okay sometimes i bite the colors individually 47 percent of people eat the whole thing 47 43 mm. percent eat narrow end first oh definitely if i were gonna do it that way i eat them uh vertical uh, split them in half vertically yeah, of course just to be an asshole <laughs> now just throw the other half on the ground <laughs> the birds will eat it yeah that's <laughs> Oh, Lord, and he could just follow you around on Halloween with <laughs> your little breadcrumb trail of, not breadcrumbs, but uh, candy corn crumbs. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, You'd have to give me some. Though. God, we're just creating a Halloween creature right here, like a, an OG creature that we can bring back every year, seasons to come. Yeah. It'll be the big Zach creature that <laughs> leaves behind little candy corn crumbs. <laughs> there you go. Crumbs. You just follow me around. You sound so scary. I don't know why in that voice, but it is. Anyway, Uh, moving on. 93% of people agree that chocolate and candy can be a part of a happy, balanced lifestyle, just so you know that. Absolutely. I mean, (laughs) yeah. Tell me Um, more. The confectionery industry for the United States, this is yearly, not just for Halloween, but... Halloween is a, definitely a driver, an Easter and Christmas are probably the driver. Right, right? yeah. The confectionery industry generates $35 billion in retail sales per year. $35 billion? Yes. God. Um, <laughs> <laughs> wow. In, in 2018 alone, the Halloween season totaled $4.5 billion in just in chocolate and candy sales. So people love their candy. Most people get the, the uh, miniatures, so they eat more of them. Yeah, I mean, the, yeah, it's a, it's like the mini cans of Coke where you end up drinking two of them, which is more than just one can of Coke. And they cost uh, more. <laughs> they cost more. Because I was at the grocery store the other day, and I saw a bag of Halloween candy. It was 100 pieces for $39. Yeah, dude. Some of those bags of candy. <laughs> I'm like, do I even want anybody showing up to the house? That's guess, a lot of money. Guess I could skip just the car payment. Every kid, just give them a silver, or like a big shiny silver quarter or something, you know? <laughs> You just handing less. out 20s at my house. Yeah, you know? you'd spend less if you just gave kids a buck. <laughs> you know, here's a dollar. Buy your own shit. Yeah, good luck. Um, <laughs> Learn the value of a dollar. Yeah. <laughs> so we found this great chart, a handy-dandy chart of how many... So you think you're eating less candy because you're eating miniatures. How many candy bars, how many miniatures... Oh, boy. ...make um, a full-size candy bar. So... Some of these are kind of interesting because how many peanut butter cups with miniatures do you think it takes to make one full-size cup? Um, the miniatures to make one full-size, it's going to be two or three, two. And you should have met in the middles, two and a half. Oh, so, huh. that makes sense. Which yeah. is also the same number of uh, Butterfingers and Mounds that make a regular bar. No. So um, I love some mounds, man. That's the good stuff. You have to have three Twix to make one regular bar of, of regular Twix. You have to have three fun size Twix. Oh, I love Twix. Yeah. 
And five Kit Kat minis is equal to one regular size Kit Kat. Wow. So I don't know if the Kit Kat's bigger or if their fun size is less fun. Yeah, I mean, why is the fun size always less fun than the regular size? Because, yeah, it just it gets your mouth ready for fun. That's what it's doing. <laughs> it's like candy foreplay, I guess. Yeah, Snickers, it takes three and a half fun-size Snickers to make one regular Snickers. That's interesting. All right. I'm, I'm thinking every time we name one, I'm like, I love that. I love Snickers, but I love all the candy. And it was saying, what is it, the number of... <clears throat> there was something we saw on the number of calories, but... It, oh, did, I didn't look closely when we were... It's like 7,000 calories the people, the average person, average kid eats on, on Halloween. It's like 7,000 7, calories. <laughs> That's like 14 Big Macs or somewhere thereabouts. It was some really <laughs> big number of it. Um, but, you know, you can also do things to... Uh, <clears throat> get rid of some of those calories we found another fun thing to do with that which oh, is, right. uh, you can uh play <laughs> the drums is... for an hour and you burn 202 calories so. seems like you're gonna be burning more than that right that yeah well hard chris's work. favorite on this one was for vacuum for one hour and burn 152 calories <laughs> we're, like, we're trying to figure out if you're like vacuuming the yard or what right, does it take that long i mean you know 30 40 minutes we got sure, carpeted but... walls chris <laughs> I gotta vacuum the walls. Yeah, maybe you're not doing it often enough. But. <laughs> <laughs> Probably, yeah. I mean, it's. But, yeah. um, but still, that one's. A, you've see, it seems to me like you'd burn more calories than that if you were doing it for an hour. But I guess it's the intensity of the vacuuming. Maybe I'm doing it too hard and fast. Yeah, I guess. So. Well, I mean, I think I, that if you I do, do have it faster, like, if you did double speed, then you don't have to do it for half an hour to burn the same amount I do of calories. Have two rooms to vacuum, and let's be honest, one of them only gets about a half swipe. <laughs> Every day I vacuum. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, you do. Looks um, great. Looks great. Yeah. Here. So the amount of candy the kids, the average trick or treater eats, is 220 sugar packets worth. Three three cups of sugar <laughs> per. Oh Lord. Per Halloween. That's just on Halloween. Just the day of. Just the day of. Uh, you would need to, you need to trick or treat for 180 miles to burn off what they eat. <laughs> so it's basically from Boston to New York. You'd have to walk. Uh, well put. <clears throat> That's from Boston to New York. Wow. Hey man. Yeah. So you gotta live and die for the candy. Um, there are some states where they don't let you have as much fun because in in Alabama it's illegal to dress up as a priest. So you know. Really. Yeah. Huh. Um, kind of makes sense. What if you, you know? dress up as a preacher? What if you dress up as like a zombie priest? Is that okay? Right. I mean, yeah. variations. Um, In Illinois, if you're over 13 and you get caught trick-or-treating, which they don't look kindly on because it's a $1,000 fine. Just <clears> for <throat> trick-or-treating? Over the age of 13. Oh, over the age of 13. Yeah. That's somehow I missed that part. <laughs> Yeah, no, you can't. I'm sure there's some places you could probably get in trouble. Oh yeah, I mean, I guess 13 seems. Yeah, I get it, but like, you, you shouldn't be going out as an adult. Well, <laughs> Maybe I mean, with your kids, Chris sure. knows this. But one year, it's been a decade or so. One year ago, or decade ago, sorry. <clears throat> this the <clears throat> Halloween night, somebody knocks on the door, and I look, open the door, and there's a a woman that's like in her. 40s or something and she was like trick or treat <laughs> i was like 
what? <laughs> she was like, trick my kids oh, at home my. sick. I'm trick or treating. She wasn't dressed up. She was just like in her clothes. <laughs> it's like you're shitting me. <laughs> she wanted to, like I was like, I don't have anything. Sorry. Like she wanted candy and shit. <laughs> and and shit. she was trick or cheating for her kid who was sick. I'm like, why don't you just go to the store? And <laughs> like they don't know that you went trick or treating. Just go buy the mixed bag and look, I got you this pillowcase full of candy. Yeah. I just thought I That's... never got over the fact that this thing <laughs> 40 year old she's probably in her 50s maybe 60s by now but right. she was on my front porch like trick-or-treating with no costume with no kids it was just her by herself <laughs> pretty sure you're not trick-or-treating at that point <laughs> you're just asking the neighbors for candy you know like pretty sure that's called something else you know the neighbors used to come over and can i can i borrow two eggs and now it's like right. can i get some candy <laughs> yeah now they just straight up lie to your face like huh <laughs> I mean, maybe she wasn't lying, but I don't know. It's a funny way to go about things. So, you know, that was good times. Yeah, good story. That's I, fun My one. house is scary enough all year that I don't really get any <laughs> trick-or-treaters. There's some big spiders out that Yeah, door. those are my decorations. <laughs> right. My front door spider's doing great this year. Yeah, they're bulbous. Bulbous and yep. shiny. Anyways, that's the new name of our, our new podcast, Bulbous and Shiny. And oddly enough, we talk only of spiders. Yes. Uh, so. Hey, Got more candy facts? Hey, I kind of do, because, hey, I just found this out. Oh, yeah. are we doing that now? Yeah. All seems right. Seems like a good, we had some talk about candy. Yeah. Um. Since we're doing uh, Halloween stuff. I kind of looked up the poison candy. You know, every year there's always the razor blades and the apples and the LSD on the candy and poison yeah. on the candy and stuff. Well, <laughs> that was uh, claims that candy have been poisoned or adulterated has gained general credence. They began to gain general credence during the Industrial Revolution. So oh, it's wow. not a new thing. Like, it's not just the Internet thing, right? Right, but, right. Um so there's been a lot of different people that have tried different stuff, but they've never been able to prove that it's ever happened. Right. Now the big scary thing is that people are going to give you, give your kids their edibles, their wee yeah. edibles. Like nobody's going to do that. Yeah. I was listening to another podcast and the whole thing was about like candy and yeah, yeah. They were talking about that is more of a danger these days. Like kids getting drugs basically. Yeah. But even that is like, right. Nobody's. It's not as extreme. Nobody's going out and buying like $50 gummies and then give them to your kid and right. be like, ha, 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 I'm never going to get to see the results of this. <laughs> right. Let this stranger walk away with my weed. Right. Again, that's like handing out 20s. Right. <laughs> so the idea, it goes with the whole idea of like stranger danger, but like the poison candy myth is like, it's just that. Yeah. They've, there's been a couple of misattributed deaths to this thing, but it's like, it's an accidental death in 1970. This kid, Kevin Tostin, a five-year-old, died after finding and eating his uncle's heroin. Oh, wow. And the family attempted to protect the uncle by claiming that the drug had been sprinkled in the child's Halloween candy. So they tried to push the blame on. Oh, uh, I see. Yeah. So that's one of the things that people... This other was a father that murdered his child uh, after, he, after the kid ate cyanide lace package of pixie sticks. Uh. And he had also poisoned other packages and given them out as candy, but no other kids in this ate it. 
that's how they were able to like kind of determine, determine it. who it was. Yeah. Um, another one that they've attributed to this whole myth, myth, mythology of the whole thing is like, uh, 1978, a two-year-old boy from Flint, Michigan died after eating Halloween candy. However, toxicology tests, toxicology tests, sorry, found no evidence of poison and his death was determined to be due to natural causes. So mm. I don't know if he choked or whatever. Right. So, and then some of these have been like natural death. Like, you know, somebody had serious medical condition that was actual, but they just happened to eat some candy afterwards. Right. And then like another one was like di- a kid died from a, a strep infection. Oh. At, but it was just coincided with the thing. Right. Um, there have been uh, almost all of the tampering cases I've ever point, ever found which is only about one or two a year involve family or friend family member or friend so it's and like usually as a prank a lot of crimes it's like usually you know the person right you know. and almost all of those involve sharp objects rather than poisoning um, three quarters of them have resulted in no injuries and the rest resulted in only minor in- injuries no child has ever been killed by eating a Halloween candy from a stranger that we know of right you would hear about it I'm sure, sure. Yeah. but they, yeah. So when they tell you that scary stuff, it's not scary. But yeah. I kind of, I've, I've always kind of, you know, known that. But I've checked it out even more because yeah. we're talking about candy. So. Well, on that podcast I was listening to, they had some numbers, and it was basically like there were some years where it would kind of shoot up, but for the right. most part, it stayed like you were saying, like yeah. two cases a year yeah, since so the sixties. I mean, people, I mean, if people are doing it, then they're probably trying to like extort like insurance money right like, like just, oh if my kid dies it's not a random poisoning or right. some craziness yeah. like that and like yeah. and also they talk about it being poison or drugs and it's almost always sharp objects which probably isn't even just razor blades it could be right little bits of metal like things like that you know but not poison or definitely not the edible from the stoner guy that lives in the building next door to you you know like <laughs> Right. He's not giving that to you. He's not. <laughs> so uh, that's funny. That's funny. Well, um, I uh, I was going to do something else, but since that was your hey, I just learned or I just found this out. <laughs> Almost had it because I wasn't looking at the, right. my little cheat sheet. I uh, I went ahead and chose to do the other one, which was um, I'd mentioned uh, Humbug Billy to you oh, earlier. Right. So there's this. Uh, Guy whose real name was William Hardiker, uh, known to locals as Humbug Billy in the 1858 Bradford Sweets Poisoning. Um, it was uh, an arsenic poisoning of more than 200 people in Bradford, England. Um, there were sweets that accidentally were made with that were accidentally made with arsenic and uh, were sold at a market stall. 21 victims died as a result. The event contributed to the passage of the Pharmacy Act of 1868 in the UK. Yeah. Okay. I've got a question. Right. What, this was a candy shop that was making candy. Yeah. What did they have arsenic around for? Let's find out. I'm going to read a little bit about oh, okay. it. Because uh, I changed my mind at the last minute and wasn't quite prepared for this one. But okay, that podcast I was listening to earlier today mentioned Humbug Billy. And I was, you know, I was like, well, this is interesting. But um, so let me see a little bit of a. Uh, because that seems like a weird combination, <clears throat> you know. <laughs> it does. On the occasion in question, on the 30th of October, 1858, Neil sent James Archer, and these are people they've already talked about in this Wikipedia article, so just bear with me. We don't need to worry about names. A lodger who lived at his house to collect daff, to collect daff for Hardiker's humbugs, 
Hold on. Let me go back up here. Let's do a little bit of background. I'm sorry. Um, so Humbug Billy, he sold sweets from a stall in the green in gr- the green market in central Bradford. Um, Hardiker purchased his supplies from Joseph Neal, who made the sweets on Stone Street a few hundred yards to the north. The sweets in question were peppermint humbugs made of peppermint oil incorporated into a base of sugar and gum. I'm thinking maybe like a, the peppermints we think of now almost, but different. It's got gum, too, like a chili peppermint type of thing? It's a... Neil, uh... However, sugar was expensive, so Neil would substitute powdered gypsum, known as DAF, for some of the required sugar. So here we go. The adulteration of foodstuffs with cheaper substances was common at the time. So, now, moving on, where I was before, um... 30th of October, 1858, Neil sent James Archer, a lodger who lived at his house, to collect daff for Hardiker's humbugs from a druggist named Charles Hodgson. Hodgson's pharmacy uh, was three miles away. Um, he was Hodgson was at his pharmacy but did not serve Archer owing to illness, so his requests were seen by his young assistant, William Goddard. Goddard asked Hodgson where the daff was and was told that it was in a cask in the corner of the attic. So essentially, he grabbed the wrong thing. Rather than the daff, Goddard sold Archer 12 pounds of arsenic. Oh, jeez. Okay, well, that, that makes a little bit more. <laughs> right. So right. I was wondering why the candy shop had like bags of arsenic right. just sitting around. Okay. But basically, they end up making all this candy with this mistake. And then he didn't even purchase. read the bag, like... That's what it's saying. The mistake remained undetected even during manufacture of the sweets. An experienced, uh, the guy who was making them was an experienced sweet maker. And, uh, yeah, didn't, uh... It was the best batch he ever made. No it just one, happened to have the wrong ingredients. No one paid enough attention to it is essentially what it's saying. I don't want to read the whole huh. thing, but, well, uh, I wonder why it wouldn't be like, I mean, you would think, that maybe it's just, it needed that powder of whatever. It didn't matter what it was, because you'd think that the candy would change. Right. If you're you adding would, certain things differently, you know. You would like, think the consistency It's normally would be, green, but now they're blue. Right. wonder what's up. Oh, well, yeah, I'm a like, master. Uh, let's hurry up Man, and whip I, these babies up <laughs> so we can make some money. Throw them in the kid's mouth. So, uh, tragedy and resulting public outcry was a major contributing factor to the Pharmacy Act of 1868, which recognized the chemist and druggist as the custodian and seller of named poisons. Um, the requirement for record keeping and the requirement to obtain the signature of the purchaser is currently upheld under the Poisons Act 1972. Okay. Well, so, yeah. They actually did something good came out of it. Right. Yeah. So, it wasn't, I mean, it was Halloween candy. I guess it was the 30th <clears> of October. Um, so there's a, a documented case of poison, but that was an accidental one. So, okay. So, so still holds to your statistics. And that wasn't even in America. And it wasn't even in America. Because I don't think true. that they bring that up anywhere outside of America because, you know, angertainment, you know. <laughs> this is true. Yeah, that's true. The other one I was going to do, I'll just mention it, was about a real-life zombie. So that'll happen again at some point in time. If you've ever oh. seen the movie uh, The Serpent and the Rainbow, that's... Uh, there was a guy who uh, actually came back from the dead. Well, we talked about that in one of our previous ones about uh, an old lady that, like, basically was, like, knocking on the inside right. of the coffin yeah. during the funeral. Well, that's what this story, essentially, they bury this guy, and then something like 20 years later, he's back. And, like, what the hell? And he talks about getting buried and how, like, he was, like, voodoo had been worked on him, and he couldn't move, and he was paralyzed, and he got buried, and... I. I, I didn't do that story, so yeah, I don't know how huh. his story said that he got out of it. But yeah, he was. Well, uh, spoiler: we might have to do that one yeah, later. He was wow. alive and well later on. Huh? Yeah. So who knows? Well, that's kind of a little bit similar but different because I guess you know we're going to talk about uh, 
Supernatural, right? Supernatural. Um, Thereabouts. On this last installment of Octoberthon. <laughs> Octoberthon. Yes, Hello. we gotta come up with we gotta come up with a new name for November. If you got one, email us. November Thon. <laughs> Just do every month Thon. Yeah. <laughs> Coming up on May Thon. <laughs> May Thon. Anyways, maybe that's what we'll call the next one. May May Thon's pretty good. <laughs> anyway, might have to save that one. <laughs> um. So I'm gonna tell us about uh, something. Something. Something fake. <laughs> well, could be. You never know. This is under the supernatural. Uh, I'm going to tell you about Pearl Curran. Pearl Curran? Yeah. Right. Uh, is a person. Yes. Pearl was born way back in the day, back in 1883. I thought you were going to be like, 1992. Because no, like, oh, they right. named them Pearl back well, then. Well, they're starting <laughs> to rename kids with like old lady <laughs> names now, you know? I bet you can count the number of girls named Pearl on one hand in 1992. Probably. <laughs> anyway. Uh, anyway, so uh, she was born in Mound City, oh. Illinois, and then like immediately they moved to Texas, right? So a lot of this will come up a little bit later because she was just like an average student. I think her mom like kind of forced her to do singing lessons and piano lessons. I think she was kind of – she felt like she had always – she always said that she was ugly, so I think she was almost like one of those uh, pageant kids. In music oh. and not like beauty pageants, like kind of pre maybe precursor because it's eighteen eighty three. Yeah, so she was know. a phenom, sort of yeah. right. But I mean, she was she eventually dropped out of her first high, year of high school and like because of the strenuous academics, right? <laughs> this, this is what it said, and I was I was kind of wondering like how hard could the academics have been in eighteen ninety five. Yeah, I mean, and half of the stuff everyone knows hadn't even been thought of yet. Perhaps you know? she had some learning disabilities that were undiagnosed at uh, the time. You she know? might have. I, mean, I don't know. I mean, come. Well, we'll find out about her because yeah, uh, I mean, you, you've told me nothing else, and I'm just making wild right. conjectures about. Um, at 14, they moved to St. Louis, and she went back to school one more time. But she really got more into like actual music then, right? And she even admitted later in life that she had little imagination, few ambitions, and she considered herself to be ugly. Mm -hmm. um, she took lessons. Like I said, her mom kept her pretty busy with, like, piano lessons and voice. And at one point, she said that she wanted to be a prima donna. Like, it was her dream was to be a prima donna. So Interesting aspirations. Um, and, well, prima donna back then was, like, I guess a singer, right? Not, like, what... They uh, kind of became like, <laughs> not like a wide receiver, or like today. you know, like a, a, a Gucci girl or something. Right, like. sure, fair enough. Um, and eventually, like through her training, she got she got to Chicago where she was working selling music for this company. So she was still getting involved with music, right? Um, and she also addressed envelopes for six dollars a week. Oh, which you know is pretty good. Is that good money then? Six bucks a week for. Eight nineteen hundred probably pretty good, right? Mm -hmm. Um, here's where I don't think that Pearl's necessarily completely smart because she'd do stuff in Chicago during the winter, and then go to St. Louis in the summer, and then in the summer she would teach music, and then the winter she would go and work for these music companies. Hmm. And I was like, "What? Well, wouldn't you do the opposite?" I'm like, yeah, it seems like I'm be gonna be in Chicago, not in the Louis. winter, you yeah. know? Yeah, for real. Anyway, so. Um, 
it's about now Pearl's 24 now. She gets married to this guy, John Howard Curran, who's like 15 years older than her, right? And mm-hmm. it said about her, it said, her days were filled with chores, needlework, naps, and playing music for the family. Uh, and I none, said, essentially, she was a turn-of-the-century stoner. <laughs> none of that strenuous mental work from yeah, school. Right, like. right. Napping and playing music, right? I mean, it does sound like a good life. We'll, we'll give her that. So she lived in, they lived together. With, she lived still in St. Louis, but still doing a little bit of back and forth, but mostly just stoning it up, right? Stoning it up in St. Louis. Um, she made friends with this lady named Emily Grant Hutching, Hutchings, who was a freelance writer who published a lot of poetry and articles also stoner probably <laughs> and this lady emily grant hutchings she uh covered the st louis world's fair in 1904 and i th- we've talked about yeah that. which i said the overlap of this one was merely coincidental like i didn't you've you've overlapped on some of the other yeah. others too yeah so your history this was here. like right before that the marathon which was the next year of the olympics right. that's what we talked or, about uh, yeah. the same year okay so she was probably at she might have seen that marathon. Yeah. Might have even thrown a dog turd or two. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, so, uh, July of 1912 comes around and Pearl's father's dying. So, what did Pearl and Emily decide that they were going to do? Go it's, ahead and kill him. <laughs> it's turn of the century ladies <laughs> of, like, you know, not, like, great means, but, you know. She didn't have to. She didn't have to do anything but nap. So I mean, they were doing all right, you know. Right, so after their nap, they- yeah. What did they decide to do? <clears throat> Her father's dying, so they decided to get the Ouija board out. Oh boy, that was a big time thing back yeah, then. Right? Yeah, like yeah, they were way into the spiritual things. So they got into got into it a little bit. Pearl initially wasn't really like into it, but then like start and actually had to be persuaded to use it, which is kind of funny when you see everything that happens, but. Oh, we're going to see something? Yeah. Okay. Just close your eyes. Oh. Um, but she was kind of like, you know, reluctant to even do it at first. Right. Because it was definitely that age of spiritualism. Like It's creepy stuff. You know. So, <clears throat> but they finally start and they get into it. She gets more and more into it. Well, then Pearl's mother would join and she would just write down anything that the spirits would say. So she was the... They would be like, A, B, you know, whatever letters are coming up. And they would say them out to her, and she would write them down. Um, now, there's a couple of different things I read, and it said that they may have contacted Pearl's grandfather. And after the, her father eventually dies, they might have even contacted him. Hmm. Um, like on purpose? Maybe. I, I, I'm not sure how Ouija boards are really, you know. I don't know if they were purposely trying to get to him, but right. I mean, he came to them is what they were saying, right? Played with one before, and it's definitely a weird, eerie thing. Okay. Yeah. Um, so what I found that some of these stories were from Emily, who a lot of things would say she was highly untrustworthy. So oh. you'll find out about that later, too. So who really knows about all this stuff, right? Um, but they continued using the board often, and after almost a year the next year 1913 the board began to repeat communication oh. and it kept repeating p-a-t p-a-t point after attempt or point <laughs> yeah. after you're so no, close no, touchdown <laughs> there you go. yeah that word uh, uh just pat over and over and on july 8th 1913 the board was unusually active and communications began with someone named patience worth 
You ever heard the name Patience Worth? I feel like I have, but I might be imagining it, too. I, I don't well, know. the message they received from Patience was, Many moons ago I lived, again I come, Patience Worth my name. Wait, I would speak with thee, if thou shalt live, then so shall I. I make my bread at thy hearth, good friends, let us be merry, M-E-R-R-I-E. The time for work mm-hmm. is past. Let the tabby drowse and blink her wisdom to the fire log. That was the first thing that they got. Different so, times, definitely. Yeah, I guess so they're hang like, out by the fire. I was like, hey, what's up? I'm here. I'm patient, basically. <laughs> right. Just like proper. It's like, yeah, you know me. And when they asked Patience when she lived, she said 1649 to 1694. And her, her, her home was across the sea. Okay. So they started chatting, I guess. Um, Worth, Patience Worth indicated she was from England, even though she never named the town or the village she lived in. And she did, there's this guy, Casper Yost, who's a publisher. We'll find out more from him. But um, they they feel like she might have lived in rural Dorsetshire with her father and mother. Okay. Um, Pearl had a mental picture of the place in which Pearl lived, or, which Patience lived in, indicating that Patience lived in green rolling country with gentle slopes, not farmed much, with houses here and there, two or three miles up this country, on this road was a small village, few houses. And this was just the picture. That, that's what Pearl that thinks Pearl of what, yeah, yeah, from what she's talked to patients about. Gotcha. Um, Pearl visualized patients leaving for America on a huge wood wooden three-masted schooner. And patients described, was described by Pearl as being probably about 30 years old. And her hair was dark red, mahogany, and her eyes were brown. For some reason, I, I was thinking of her as white-headed. No. Um, she had eyes brown, large and deep, and her mouth and was firm and set. Um, <laughs> I'm reading how she wrote this. A like, firm set mouth. Yeah, this is how Pearl <laughs> from 1920s was writing this, right? Her hair had been disarranged by her cap and was in big, glossy, soft waves. Curran also saw patients sitting on a horse holding a bundle tied in a sail cl- tied in sailcloth. So she's like a dramatic figure really. Right. Yeah. She's, uh, she says she's small and her feet are small with coarse square toed shoes and gray woolen stockings. I mean she definitely has this image of who she is. Yeah. And she says that the after long voyage a ship arrives at the jagged coast of America and they launched several flatboats, and Patience was standing on the prow of her boat and became one of the first to reach the shore. So she's like the George Washington figure, too. So, like, she's kind of wrapping it all into she's one. She's standing there like Captain Morgan. Ba, 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 ba. <laughs> yeah, totally, yes. But where, whatever the female uh, pirate was in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Right, yeah, I can't remember the name. But yeah, um, indeed. Now, Patience later tells Pearl that she was eventually killed by the Indians. <clears throat> There's not much in between her landing and being killed. I don't know if it's like she's the first one that she, she was the first one they hit when they were like shooting at him. I don't know. It's like, well, she made it easy. So here's, here's yeah, she ducked it up. She's standing like, you know, Superman on the front of the ma- magazine. <clears throat> Bow, like three arrows right there. So Pearl changed her story several times because at some point she, Patience was an old woman and then Patience had died at 30. And I said, which, to be fair, may have been an old woman at that point at 30 years old. 
true. I in mean, the 1640s, 50s, 60s area, yeah. the, the patients was supposedly from. Yeah, was she lived to 49 to 92 or something? Yeah, in said. the 16s. So, yeah, yeah, not the 19s. Right, yeah. right, right. Um, so Pearl kept on communicating. Pearl and Emily were communicating. And Pearl started to claim that she began to anticipate what the Ouija board was going to spell. And by 1919, the pointer would just move all about the board. And Pearl described visions that she would have to accompany patients' words. Okay. Interesting. So Pearl said, I am like a child with a magic picture book. Once I look upon it, all I have to do is all I have to do is to watch its pages open before me and reveal in their beauty and variety and novelty. When the poems come, there also appear before my eyes images of each successive symbol as the words are given me. When the stories come, the scenes become panoramic, with the characters moving and acting their parts, even speaking and converse. Oh. Um, hmm. yeah, she says, uh, if the people talk a foreign language, I hear the talk, but over and above is the voice of patience, either interpreting or giving me the part she wishes to use as a story. Huh. Okay. So I mean, a lot of these, interesting. She's, yeah. She's creating this, maybe creating. I'm like, a, why not just write the book? Well, <laughs> okay. Right. Many of the Ouija <clears throat> sessions were at least 90 minutes long and sometimes as many as 5,000 words per session were produced. Um, hmm. Sometimes in 20 minutes, 20, 15, 15 poems would be composed in 20 minutes. Wow. Um, sometimes they'd switch from project to project, working on a novel, a play, and a poem at the same time and using alternating language for each. So, <laughs> this is Pearl's... T- using the Ouija board and spelling all this out. And it, at a certain point, her husband starts to start writing all this down. Hey, he's, he's keeping records of all this. Probably right? going through lots of those little <clears throat> things, too. You probably have to get yeah, spares. I don't know like, what they're called. I mean, but the yeah, mo- she's got two of them, like a DJ yeah. table. She's got two wonder, Ouija boards going at once. I wonder what the average mileage is for one of those <laughs> I things. I don't know. <laughs> it depends on the spirit in there. Apparently, patience was all I mean, right. You're moving over that many letters, like 15 poems in 20 minutes. 5,000 words in an hour and yeah, a half it's sometimes. Like you, just, you don't have enough time to do anything with your hands but do the ouija board um so witnesses would come to this it was becoming like something right like witnesses would come to the sessions and they were amazed at how fast the pointer would move and how (laughs) pearl would call out the words without any hesitation or any alteration of the words she was given (laughs) interesting that she's just like the dog goes to you know whatever's coming up but like she just happens to know what it's going to do instantaneously right yeah yeah so Huh. Take it as what you want from this right. this point, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm not normally the skeptic of the group, but I, no. this one... During the next few years, Pearl Curran and Patience Worth wrote several novels. Uh, called, one of them's Telka, another one's The Sorry Tale, Hope, True Blood, The Pot Upon the Wheel, Samuel Wheaton, and uh, an Elizabeth Elizabethan mask. They wrote several short stories and tons of poems. Okay. It... it certain point in this whole probably 20 year period i guess maybe it's 20 years um there was a magazine called the patient's worth magazine and hmm. at the, there was a disclaimer <laughs> at the beginning that says patients does not read the future find lost lovers lost relatives or lost property wow. and uh pearl said at this point she wasn't interested in history nor would she want to do other things expected of ghosts 
contacted through Ouija boards. So she like, just wants to write poems and short stories. Yes, but patience doesn't have any time. He just doesn't have any patience for any of this other stuff. Don't ask me about anything else. <laughs> right, yeah, because I'm not going to help you. I just want to write poems and stories. Right. So all of this like, is coinciding with uh, spiritualism, revival that's going on in the United States and Britain, which right. probably probably led to more people being interested in this than normally yeah, would have been. they would do seances and right. all sorts of stuff. Especially yeah. like rich people yeah, were doing that a lot more. Yeah, get together. Kind of like that uh, scene in uh, Beetlejuice. They do that seance. Yep. 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 Um, lots of different people were writing critiques about the writings and some felt that it was of high quality. This uh, novel called The Sorry Tale was considered to be a new classic of world literature by William Marion Reedy. And uh, in 1918, Patience Worth was listed as one of the outstanding authors by the Joint Committee of Literary Arts of New York. Really? In a 1918 anthology of ma- magazine verse and yearbook of American poetry, the poems of Patience listed numbered 80, while other prominent poems, poems, poets of the time had five to ten poems released. This belongs up there with that fake book that <clears throat> I did the story on last season. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. I forgot about that. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I, until just now, I yeah. did, too. But, yeah. <laughs> Um, so 1922 rolls around and on June 1st, John Kerr and her husband died and he Mm. was the one that was keeping meticulous records, right? Right. Um, eventually there would be 29 volumes of the patient's worth sessions. Meticulous indeed. Yeah. And after he died, sessions became episodic and fragmentary. Huh. And long gaps of time were unaccounted for. So very interesting. Yeah. So, and at this time, she, like, Pearl's screwed. Because she All she did was nap and, like, do Ouija board sessions. She didn't yeah. have any money. Yeah, she was taking credit for all this stuff. But uh, a friend of the family named Herman Bear, spelled like the paint company. <laughs> and if, there, there's, in Brooklyn, there's the Bear Mansion. Check this thing out. B-E-H-R Mansion in New York, in all Brooklyn. Right. It's pretty cool. Like, doesn't look like it should be in New York City kind of building. <laughs> um, this guy was like some sort of abrasive in, industrialist like oh, wow. he Look made abrasives uh, and he had a he had a one of his sons was a survivor of the uh, titanic right so and max bear was his other son who was a professional right. golfer whatever I mean, this guy had some money mansion is insane yeah pretty cool I mean, looking. Yeah, yeah 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 for sure so he provided pearl with four hundred dollars a month for several years so i mean that's how much money this guy had four hundred dollars a month in like 1922 yeah Oh, for brutal. some lady to just nap. <laughs> um, but by 1930, Pearl moved to California to live with old friends. So she was just like, she had kids and she needed to, she needed help. Yeah. And she just wasn't able to do it where she was. So you she don't say. So she moved out there. She would take, she took the Ouija board and still have sessions with patients, which, you know, I guess makes sense, but doesn't. Like, I don't know if they're location-based or if they can travel. Yeah, I mean, I guess if it's something that is actually happening. But when she got out there, they, they were doing, like, these these uh, <clears throat> sessions, but they were becoming more, like, on Pearl, or patients would talk about major topics and make comments on uh, other issues as well, major topics of the day. Oh, like current events. And, yeah, so, uh, like, I, I think I said, <clears throat> sounds to me like they both got into their TMZ phase. <laughs> like, they were just talking, like, in L- L.A. doing, like, you know, celebrity goss or well, whatever. You, know, you get out of wanting to do the art of it, and you just want to report, you know, all the news that's fit to print. Yeah. So to speak. I'm yeah. just kidding. But, yeah. uh, November 25th, 1937. So there's not much that 
you know, there's still writings going on, but not as much after John died. Right, she's just loafing across the country. Yeah, I, yeah but I think that you can kind of like piece some of it together, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, t- November 25th, 1937, Pearl received her final communication from Patience, in which Patience told her that she was going to die. Pearl told the friend that she was living with, Dotsie, her said, she said, Oh, Dotsie, Patience has just shown me the end of the road, and you have to carry on as best you can. Pearl hadn't been sick at all, but developed pneumonia and died like a week later. Oh, wow. Yeah. Huh. Um, so I told you about that Casper Yost guy, right? And he was, yeah. a, he was a, he <laughs> was convinced that Pearl was genuine. Yeah. And he would join in the sessions and the, he, he, he said that patience was really flirty with him and would call him brother but was also flirty with him, which I was like, that's creepy. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. This guy was like, he was a wacko anyway. Right. Um, she said, he said about Pearl that she was the most marvelous psych, psychical phenomenon the world has ever known. Huh? And in 1916, he published a book called patience worth a psychic mystery. And that really publicized Pearl in that time that she was doing all that stuff. Right. Right. Now there's a lot of people that say that Emily, that that her her original homie, mm-hmm. was thought to be the actual introduction of patience, and she was actually the original one, and Pearl just kind of stole it from her, kind of thing. Oh, uh, I see. Because um, the other girl sounded like she might have more actual talent or something. Yeah. Right? Well, Emily became jealous when patience showed favor to Pearl, is what it said, right. and uh, she'd go into the record. Emily would go into the record that John was writing and take away and add things that fit her ideas better. So some of that has been altered, right? Some catty stuff. And once they found out about that, Emily was basically kicked out. And then some, uh, you know, what do you call it? Comment thread argument? You know, some comment thread argument that's going on, but it's pre-turn-of-the-century Facebook (laughs) argument, right? right? Well, it sounds like Emily wanted to give the whole gig up and John and... uh and what's her face for like heck well no. she started going off on this so she went to wrote to this guy james james Hyslip. emily did mm-hmm. and he was the american he was the head of the american society for cyclic cyclical research and uh, uh psychical 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 um Hyslip was the precursor to the amazing randy that we've talked about before and he was trying to weed out charlatans from legit psychics right so right. Like, emily's like yo this girl's faking it. Mm-hmm. This was my thing. She stole it kind of thing. Yeah, I was faking it, so I know she is. Yeah, Hyslip was trying to get Pearl to refu- to uh, submit to testing, but she never would. Of course. And he eventually released a journal that called patients out as a fraud and that Pearl was delusional and wouldn't stand to any scientific scrutiny. Now, Emily, on the other hand, also might have been a little off a rocker because... <laughs> She eventually wrote a book with Mark Twain, who had died years earlier. You might have heard of the book before. It's called Jap Heron. Hmm. It's a book that uh, Mark Twain wrote with her through a Ouija board. Interesting. Yeah, I've and never heard of that one. He had gotten so frustrated that he made her add punctuation to the Ouija board. <laughs> so she had like up this thing that was going on. <laughs> and here's a fun fact about Jap Heron. Uh, in an attempt to stop Hutchings, Emily, from profiting from Mark Twain's name, Clara Clemens, 
who's his daughter, filed a lawsuit in the Supreme Court against Hutchings <clears throat> and her publisher. Um, because Clemens and her publishers were unable to prove that the book was not written by the ghost of Mark Twain, a lawsuit, they couldn't prove it, so they, it was dropped. How so absurd. They, they had to file a lawsuit, a new lawsuit, to say that Hutchins either admits the book was a fraud or surrender all profits to the Mark Twain estate. And uh, Hutchins never retracted her claims, and the lawsuit was dropped when uh, she had agreed to destroy all existing copies and cease publication. Like, the, this book has its own Wikipedia page. Okay. It's a short one, but... Um, in 1927, this guy, Franklin Pierce, Walter Franklin Pierce, everybody had three names then, right? <laughs> he uh, did a thorough investigation of this case with Pearl and, and uh, Patience. And uh, he wrote a 509-page report oh, that went from 1913 to 1927. And it provided a biographical sketch of Pearl, eyewitness reports, opinions and reviews, poetry of Patience and Mrs. Curran, and much other information related to the case. Uh, Prince concluded his investigation by stating, either our concept of what we call the subconscious must be radically altered so as to include potencies of which we hitherto have had no knowledge or else some cause operating through but not originating in sub subconscious of Mrs. Curran must be acknowledged. Hmm. So he's saying there's nothing we we got to say it's real, basically. Right, because we can't prove it isn't. <clears throat> right. Essentially, yeah. Um, this other parapsychologist thinks that Pearl was just a gifted child whose talent for writing was smothered by her mother who wanted her to be a... Like, was trying to force her into a different thing. Um, mm -hmm. And that Patience Worth was her alter ego, which was her subconscious that could get back into the things that she had done before. Uh, it kind of didn't make sense because she thought that first year of high school was so tough but like also like she was doing all this other stuff, right? Yeah, I mean, lazy fraud. Yeah. <clears throat> um it's a hell of a thing. They were never somebody. able to find any sort of um existence of an actual patient's worth. And they've gone through like, you know, records, citizenship they records read all the way like back that. through the 1600s yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um yeah, they nothing to indicate that a patient's worth ever existed. They could. They they also think that she might be a super psi, and that she had subconsciously used, utilized a form of extrasensory perception. Hmm. So they there's a lot of different. There's a lot stuff. of different. A different thing, different ideas of what the truth is behind it. But right. I mean, at one point, Pearl had gone to see this guy, a psychologist, and he, she, he, she used the Ouija board at his home on two occasions, but refused to be put under hypnosis by him hmm. because she believed it would destroy her contact with patients. And when reporters asked about it, this guy that she went to visit said, there's nothing of scientific importance occurring here. And I consider the results inconsequential and of no scientific value. So yeah. he thought she was full of it. So, um, I think she was full of it. So yeah. The whole dying thing. I mean, there's some interesting aspects that are like, hmm, wonder, wonder how she did that. Right. Like, you know, yeah. I mean, I, but there's an argument that people can also, you know, like people might know that it's coming. You know that's what I true. mean? That's true. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. I've, my granddad, I knew we figured later on after you see it afterwards, right. we, it was six months before he died, we think that he probably knew he was going to die. 
Yeah. You know, but anyways. Hmm. Um, language experts feel the dialect the patients used didn't belong to any period. But it was a mixture of all sorts of shit, like contemporary English, poetic terms, some misused and un- misunderstood words. Some words Pearl, create, Pearl created. Uh, different art uh, dialect from people from the Ozarks. Um, uncomprehensible. Uh, some of the writing was just like random words that didn't make any sense, right? Right. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a lot of people hmm. think it's just fraud, right? But there's uh, there's poetry, right? There's one called Patience Worth. It, the, the the poem is a phantom wheel enough w e e l i'm not sure what that hmm. prove thyself to me i say behold here i be buskins kirtle cap and pettiskirts and much tongue wheel what hast thou to prove thee i don't know what that i mean hmm. what does wheel mean i wonder i'm not sure wheel, uh, wheel. there's another one <laughs> yeah bring out your dad anyways um <laughs> who said that love was fire is the name of another one who said that love was fire i know that love is ash it is the thing which remains when the fire is spent the holy essence of experience hmm. so i mean you know totally writing similar of the time type sure. of thing um aphorisms you know what aphorisms are yeah there's a couple of them they're really good resolve is a lazy workman yeah Jealousy is the blade that slays love. <laughs> um, and this one's the best one. is when the fool becomes wise, he falls silent. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, 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 yeah. you know, that's Pearl Curran and Patience Worth. That's why I'm so, so quiet right now. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah, that's Pearl yeah, and Patience. That was a good one. So, you know, I mean, I think she's probably just probably more on the yeah alternating uh, personalities or something like I mean, that. I was thinking, yeah, actually, uh, that had occurred to me a little bit ago. I was like, perhaps there was like a, yeah, different uh, multiple personality sort of thing going on. Or, yeah. You know. Or, Just kind of turn it on and off. Because like, maybe she actually believed it. You know what I mean? The, right. Which, yeah, I mean, I'm sure she was the, making some money off of it. Because, I mean, you're selling your poetry yeah, and your books. So, I mean, right. Like, you perhaps she wasn't a fraud because well she thought something was actually happening but it was maybe just her all along um yeah and like you know more people became interested in the more you're doing you know look at this i'm just pumping them out so fast i can't even keep up with it and if you're somebody that grew up you know not really believing in yourself at all and well now you found a way to to do something where you're basically someone else yeah um well if you want to look it up there's a old uh unsolved mysteries episode oh, really? talk about her that's where i've heard about this originally <laughs> that's funny this was on my list when we started long ago but yeah no that's a good one i haven't heard of that before yeah well, patience worth or you know you can go read her book you know? oh that's true there's a lot of stuff out there apparently is that i guess you can't get that uh mark twain one anymore I don't, if maybe but right. I don't think so. I think that, like I said, everything was destroyed. I, I'm sure there's some copies, but they might be one of those like million dollar books, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Who knows? Wow. Well, mum. Well, mum. Mum. Well, mum. Mine is completely different. All and, right. Uh, and completely fictional. Oh. <laughs> but it's like the, also, which episode of Scooby Doo are you going to evaluate? <laughs> well, he was the park owner. <laughs> we took off his mask. Well, it's more like a. I don't know. It's about a. <clears throat> It's an internet phenomenon. It's about like liminal spaces called the back rooms. Have you heard of the back rooms? I don't think so. Well, um, 
Well, first of all, liminal spaces are like uh, places where there, you know, might normally be people. Like it's a, a functional space, like a waiting room or a stairwell, or I don't know, an office building, like a a room where right. offices were, but now it's empty. Something oh, okay. like that. It's all like right. it's a, a a used space that is empty. I don't know how to describe it better than that. But you know, waiting rooms that are empty. Okay. Stairwells, things gotcha. like that. Like empty things. Empty things. Places where. Nothing goes on there when there's nothing going on there. Right. Okay. <laughs> so the back rooms are a thing where you can, uh, you've been in a video game before where maybe you accidentally walked through a wall and ended up in a spot where you can't get out of. Oh, yeah. Yep. That's uh, essentially the way that you fall into the back rooms. Hmm. So, right. Some sort of glitch, huh? Yeah, some sort of glitch. And the way I've liked to think about it is, you know, if the back rooms are going to be real, perhaps it's a. Uh, a result of the simulation that we all live in. <laughs> Who would have thought that Chris would have gone to a story that had to do with glitches? I think Chris is a glitch right? at this point. But this one, I recently, I don't know, I stumbled across a YouTube video because uh, there was a, there's been a kid that has done a series of YouTube videos that are pretty popular about the back rooms, and there's been games and stuff created about the back rooms, and you know, there's this whole subculture of people talking about the back rooms and visiting the back rooms and stuff and so i was like eventually there's going to be someone who says i've actually gone to the back rooms blah 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 okay so I'm, I'm cutting them off before they even get there um from wikipedia on may 12th 2019 an anonymous user started a thread on x 4chan's paranormal themed board asking users to quote post disquieting images that just feel off one of the posts was the original photo of the back rooms, a picture of a large carpeted open room with yellow wallpaper and fluorescent lighting and on a Dutch angle. Um, a Dutch angle is like, I don't know, in a movie where you have a scene that isn't like everything's standing straight so the camera's kind of tilted so everything's at a tilted angle so it's a little more discomforting when you see it because oh, nothing okay. is like exactly right. You're looking yeah, at, like it at those, an angle. Yeah, like rooses and like fun houses and right stuff. yeah so the room itself is normal willy wonka's but the, but the camera factory. angle yeah, is kind of funky okay. so that's a dutch angle it is not known where the photo was taken but it appeared in an earlier thread on april 21st 2018 another user replied to this post with the first description of the back rooms if you're not careful and you no clip no clipping is you know glitching into the back rooms if you no clip out of a reality in the wrong areas you'll end up in the back rooms where it's nothing but the stink of old moist carpet the madness of mono yellow the endless background noise of fluorescent lights at maximum hum buzz and approximately 600 million square miles of randomly segmented empty rooms to be trapped in yeah. kind of creepy that doesn't sound fun <laughs> right and then some of the some of the further explorations of the back rooms people talk about being stalked by something that you only ever really hear <laughs> and sometimes if you turn really you quick you catch it out of the corner yeah, you'll see eye. it go by and like you can't find Ugh. it and but you know it's there and you hear it coming after you Ugh. right um this uh user finished by saying god save you if you hear something wandering around nearby because it sure as hell has heard you so wow <laughs> right. thank you 4chan wow <laughs> so yeah this is from a vice article about the back rooms um 
Chris Freeward spotted the photo in 2019. Uh, this is the photo I was just talking about from the Wikipedia article. Okay. Spotted the photo when he was 16 and it stuck in his head. It seemed to keep popping up on 4chan. So one morning soon after, he hopped out of bed at 5 a.m. and became one of the first to write a short story about it. Something about that original 4chan post really resonated with me, as I'm sure it did with millions of other people who love the backrooms concept. So, um... He posted his story on Reddit's Creepypasta and <clears throat> got a couple of upvotes. Then many more began sharing their own odes to the space, from photoshopped images to interactive games. Freebird thinks this fascination with the backroom stems from a specific nostalgia felt by his generation. He says, So many people grew up in the odd transitional period of the 2000s, where things from the past sat almost completely unchanged, unmaintained, buildings unrenovated, he says. It's just one of those odd shared experiences. And me, I'm mm. like, hmm. I, I mean, I know what you're describing, but I don't know what you're talking about, that right. feeling. But I guess yeah. I wasn't growing up necessarily at that point. I was in my 20s and, you know, still growing up, but not what he's talking about. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, I get it. Right. It's kind of um, like us going to like an old mall and it being empty, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, uh, let's see. Backrooms reminded Freerward of the library in his hometown in Kansas, his old school, and those weird play areas in the middle of shopping malls. Often described as liminal spaces, these desolate locations sit on the precipice of new and old, both familiar and strange. An example of a liminal space is an uh, is, um, image of a long, empty hallway. So, um, <clears throat> backrooms have been associated with an internet aesthetic known as liminal... Well, I already... I'm sorry. <laughs> going to reread stuff um gosh i put a lot of liminal space stuff in there repeat <laughs> he I'm just sorry. likes to say that word he likes the way his lips feel when he says <laughs> well, it. well there was a certain point where i <laughs> i think i skipped over uh going over my notes again <laughs> and forgot to get rid of some stuff um <clears throat> pc gamer magazine compared the backroom's various levels to hp loves lovecraft's Rilye, which I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that, and the city in the manga or manga Blame, describing it as, quote, an uncanny valley of place. Um, an uncanny valley is like a kind of a, a feeling, a psychological feeling you get when you see like a robot or something that is so lifelike that it makes you feel funny when you when you look at it. So the back dolls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure, exactly. Yeah. Like a so an uncanny valley of place would be the back rooms where when you see it, you know there's something off and wrong about it, but you can't quite put your yeah, finger I mean, on it. Like, I know exactly the feeling on that. Right, I've been to yeah. places you're like, oh, I think right. I'm in the wrong place kind of thing, I guess, right? Yeah. Maybe not necessarily even empty, but a lot of times the emptiness makes it be like, uh, sure. oh, I shouldn't be here. Well, it's like I close the, the bookstore sometimes, and when I'm in there, like upstairs by myself in this big open space that normally has a lot of people in it, it's just like, hmm, and it's quiet. Right, <laughs> and know? then you hear one thing. Yeah, and you hear it way on the other side of the store. Like, man, <laughs> let me wait to see if I hear it again. Right. <laughs> like, nope. All right. <laughs> that's the, that's that the things go. that come to life when you're right. when you're gone. It's the mannequins. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You got mannequins there. <laughs> right. I used to think that with my like stuffed animals when I was a little kid. Like I'd go to sleep or leave the room, and they Toy Story it up. You know. Yeah, for sure. Indeed. <laughs> um, the subreddit. Back, uh, 
subreddit r slash backrooms currently has over 157,000 members who discuss the space in great detail alongside memes, maps, and mock-ups of different rooms. Uh, people have created levels and stuff. Just like Slenderman, the concept has grown exponentially from a single image. Threads are filled with the talk of new levels that could sit above, below, or beside the backrooms, including pitch black tunnels and an abandoned hotel. These fan-made spaces have their own design and background stories, but they've caused a split in the community. So yeah, there's one group of backrooms people that want to just do pictures of the backrooms and not discuss it as like a game or something you got to get through, but just a place you're stuck in. Right. If you get there and there's no levels, you know, none of the extra crap. It's just creepy and spooky as it is. I looked at that one and just some of the pictures, like people will be like, hey, look, I found the entrance to the backrooms. And so they'll take pictures of all these different places. Kind of cool to look at because some of them are truly creepy. And then some people will put, like, uh, you know, coordinates, like map coordinates, and you follow them, and it's supposed to be an entrance to the back rooms. And, yeah, it's uh, It's just like his (laughs) ex-girlfriend's apartment. (laughs) Right. Exactly. (laughs) So, yeah, moving on, what I did here... Oh, I'm sorry, I got some more about a... There's Kane Pixels. He's the kid I was talking about earlier who created the YouTube video. So uh, earlier this year, YouTuber Kane Pixels found himself at the center of the backrooms phenomenon when he shared a found footage style film set in the liminal maze. Liminal. You're right. I do like saying it. Mm -hmm. Liminal. It has since gained over 20 million views, with his similar follow-ups reaching a combined total of well over 33 million. Not bad for a self-taught 16-year-old. This is the sort of thing that I've been wanting to do as long as I can remember, said the 16-year-old. <laughs> How long is that? I've been wanting to do this forever. Well, 13 years. Seeing these internet mysteries pop up and watching people break them down, that's always something I wanted to contribute to. It took Pixels one month to create the first video using Blender editing software and After Effects to recreate the sprawling 3d space with hyper realistic vf vfx it does look pretty good considering that he taught himself to do this and did it all like if you watch some of his videos like huh i'll be damned it does i'm a little bored by them but it's well done enough for a kid doing it on his own (laughs) that's what he wants you to think he's got a ouija board he's got his yeah yeah he's just talking he's accessing the ghost of a like a 20th century programmer right (laughs) he admits to being spooked by his own creation at times working deep into the night a clip would sometimes lag and he'd jump at unexpected shadows on the walls for pixels the back rooms is a physical manifestation of a poorly remembered past appealing to those with a cloudy recollection of the late 90s and early 2000s i mostly remember that time through little glimpses of memories here and there and then family photos he says the flash is always on the lighting is gross looking there's yellow walls the white balance is all off David R. was aware of the original 4chan post, but it was Pixel's videos that made him enter the back rooms. The 24-year-old who asked that his full name not be published in this Vice article um, <clears throat> says he's frightened at the thought of getting lost in those wallpapered corridors, but is drawn in by the mysterious familiarity. He thinks the back rooms appear differently for each person who enters. Everyone has a memory somewhere in their brain of being somewhere like the back rooms. Most people went to some weird place when they were young and have just never forgotten about it. Or they have forgotten about it, and it reminds them I of think, that yeah. place. Oh, yeah. yeah. Crazy. Later that evening, David sends me, this is the guy writing the article, David sends me stills from a VHS tape taken during a family holiday when he was four years old. He'd forgotten about it until his mother showed him. He's riding on a scooter alone in a desolate sprawl of endless corridors. <laughs> so, yeah, that was pretty creepy. Uh. <laughs> um, let's see. I had... It's like being on some 
inside some building where you're the only one besides like your building, right. but just any big yeah, building. Any like, big building. If you were the only one in a closed Walmart, how scary would that oh, kind of be? For you know? real. I mean, I've been in the tech Not that I'd be scared, but just like yeah. just some sort of creepiness to like being the only one <laughs> yeah. in there. Like, well, it's like the uh, tech library at, say, 4 p.m. on a Friday afternoon on, like, the third floor. There's nobody right. else there. Well, yeah, but know? make that, like, you know, <laughs> one in the morning. <laughs> right, make it one in the Where the lights morning. are off on every floor except the one you're on. Or, the, yeah, like, they're still on because they're all humming, and it's like, uh, right. all I can hear is that effing humming. Right. Like, it, this, did I just hear something? <laughs> yeah. Or you turn the lights off, uh, and then you really, like. It all musty in here. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I got a one of the Reddit stories. I read some of these backroom stories, and uh, most people on Reddit can't write very well. Like these are horrible stories, y'all. So if anybody from out there in Reddit world is listening, like I don't know, <laughs> find something better to do. Anyway, <clears throat> um, this is what I titled "Backroom Story" from. Uh, Reddit, uh, it was a, a Reddit story posted two days ago. That was as of like a, a few days ago now. But um, the user had been deleted by the time I read the story. So um, I have a careless Kia driver to thank for my experience in the back rooms. I was pulling out of a Walmart parking lot. I checked all directions twice and began to turn when suddenly I heard screeching tires. The next thing I heard was shattering glass and metal on metal, and my car was spinning into a ditch. It's the most out-of-nowhere feeling in the world, having your body tossed around out of control. The first thing I noticed next was the silence. Given what had just happened, I expected screaming, ambulance sirens, police lights, the works. But there was only a lack of sound and at first a total lack of sight as well. For a second I thought I'd been struck blind and deaf. Then in, then in the distance I saw a small area light up. Then it grew larger and larger. In my haziness I realized that I was seeing a line of overhead fluorescent lights come on. By the time the lights had reached me I was still laying on my side completely disconcerted. Yeah, you know. Check your word choice at the door. My sight finally became whole and I got to my feet. My knees felt like the rest of my body was holding onto them for dear life, but outside of that I realized I was fine. No broken bones, no blood, nothing. But all of that took a backseat to the fact that I was suddenly in this place that I didn't know. Now, I'm a horror fan, so I know the one thing you never do is yell out, Hello, when you're alone somewhere, because that's like hitting a switch. The moment you do that, you realize that you are not, in fact, alone. I kept my mouth shut and looked around. It looked like one long hallway stretching on forever in a parade of barely audible humming light. Even though I knew I should be quiet, I wondered if I should stay put or if I should start walking in one direction and hope I would find my way out. I didn't have to consider this question long because all of a sudden it sounded like the bulbs above my head were humming as loud as a bee farm. Just when it got to where I covered my ears, all of the lights turned out. So there you go, talking about what you were talking about. As soon as they did, where, <clears throat> where once there had been a long hallway was a gigantic wall with a single doorway, and in that single doorway was what at first looked like a man. My heart jumped as he appeared, and it began to beat harder and harder as I took in the man's features. I say man, because honestly, that's the only word I can think of. He stood there, obscured by a bright light that shone behind him. As my sight adjusted to the change, I saw that the man had no arms. He had a torso, a neck, a head, and two legs and two feet, but no arms, no hands. He shifted one foot to the other, waddling in place. That may sound silly to you, but trust me when I say that even if he had a full form, it would have been deeply disturbing. His face was the worst part. It almost made me wish I had gone blind. His mouth remained grim, but the right corner of it twitched, almost like a glitch in a digital animation. I don't think I saw him blink even once. It took me a few seconds to see that he wasn't looking directly at me. He was gazing off into space. I think he, would, he could have been blind. 
I never got a really good look at his eyes, but I wouldn't have been surprised if they'd been completely cataracted. <laughs> Again, <laughs> check your word choice at the door, my friend. Yeah, is that a word? <laughs> cataracted? I mean, I know what you're saying, but I'm pretty sure cataracted is not how that works with that word. <laughs> From the look on his face, I could tell that this man was totally insane. Because a cataract is a thing. <laughs> All of this happened and was taken in in approximately five seconds. As my situation dawned on me, I instinctively took a step backwards. That's when the man began to scream and run at me full force. I was running too before I realized it and I found myself surprised that I was screaming. I'm a big guy and not in good shape at all, so I knew I wouldn't be able to run from this thing for long. That's when I saw another door appear on my right. Without even really thinking about it, I turned and ran on into it, into full darkness. I started to feel like my body was pumping battery acid instead of blood, so I stopped running and was a little relieved when that creature ran past the doorway and continued up the hallway. Likely story, my friend. I'd always thought the term deafening silence was just a figure of speech, but it isn't. The silence in the darkness was so absolute that I didn't hear a ringing in my head from all the running I'd just done. I waited for what seemed like forever for my heart to get back down to a manageable tempo and began walking as best I could, gliding my hand along the wall I'd been leaning against as I went. Suddenly a searing pain shot through my stomach. I felt like I'd been stabbed from the inside out. Blood began to pour out of my nose, and I heard a voice say, Sir? Sir, are you with me? Sir? In a flash, I was back in the driver's seat of my car. There was glass everywhere, and the iron taste of blood permeated my sinuses. I realized the blood was coming from my nose, and the stabbing pain in my stomach got worse as my body convulsed. Sir, please don't try to move. Could you please try to give me a phone number of someone we can contact? I gathered my thoughts long enough to give them my wife's phone number. I tried as hard as I could to remain conscious for fear of returning to wherever I'd been, but my attempts were in vain. Thankfully, all that I faced this time was unconsciousness. Woke up in the hospital a few hours later. The doctor told me I'd been hit and knocked into a ditch and that my nose had broken against the steering wheel and the stabbing pain I'd felt in my stomach was a couple of broken ribs. I'd had some internal bleeding, but the doctors had done their job well. <clears throat> I also never mentioned my... Um, he never... Uh, I'm sorry. My wife was almost hysterical and I wanted to joke about them giving her something because... The, I'm sorry, I skipped a part there. My bad. Whatever. He's in the hospital. We we know, uh, yeah, he got out of the back rooms. That was his story. Dude. Yeah. That motherfucker just told a story about getting knocked the fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. That's what happened there. <laughs> and that was like the gist of most of the Reddit stories. I was like, at first that one, like, I was like, all right, you know, this is I mean, fine. it wasn't written poorly. It wasn't horrible. motherfucker got knocked out on right. the steering wheel. Exactly. Like, and it's like, I'm pretty sure that's not how the back rooms work. But trust me, a lot of the stories were like that. I'm like, do y'all understand what's going on here? Like, <laughs> you spend more time here than I do. So what I did, I'm, I, I, you know, some people. Chris knocked himself out and I then recorded it. myself out. And, then... and I used a Ouija board and accessed him <laughs> while he was out. And we wrote a story about it. Here it is. <laughs> well, I uh, went to ChatGPT and I said, hey, ChatGPT, write me a story about the back rooms. I like that you're all like flirty with it. <laughs> hey, ChatGTP, whatever. GPT. Whatever. Um, and Listen I... to this. Tell me a story. <laughs> so I said, tell me a backroom story, GPT, chatty. That's what I call her sometimes, chatty. And she said, certainly, here's a backrooms-inspired story for you. And she called it Whispers in the Abyss. And it's much better written than any of the Reddit ones I've found, just putting that out there. In the flickering half-light of the back rooms, where the buzzing of fluorescent tubes created a dissonant symphony, Emily found herself alone. 
and it's got Emily. There was an Emily in your story. She had no recollection of how she got there, no memory of the world outside the damp yellow walls that surrounded her. With cautious steps, Emily ventured deeper into the maze of identical hallways. The air was thick with a musty smell, and the carpet beneath her feet was damp and sticky. Every corridor seemed to stretch into eternity, the same pale yellow stretching endlessly in all directions. Days turned into nights, but time felt abstract in the back rooms. Emily wandered, driven by the hope of finding an exit. She slept in abandoned rooms, curled up on dust-covered couches, and drank from leaking pipes. Each day, the emptiness pressed down on her. The silence broke only by the occasional distant hum or the echoes of her own footsteps. One day, as Emily explored a particularly desolate corridor, she heard something that made her heart skip a beat. A whisper. At first, it was just a faint murmur, carried by the stale air. She followed the sound, her footsteps echoing through the hallway. The whispers grew louder, indistinct voices overlapping and intertwining like ghostly vines. Driven by curiosity and desperation, Emily quickened her pace. The whispers seemed to guide her, leading her through the labyrinthine passages. She felt a strange sense of discomfort in their presence, as if she was not truly alone. The whispers led her to a door, unlike any she had seen before. It was ornately carved, standing out against the monotony of the back rooms. The trembling hand, with trembling hands, she pushed it open and stepped into a room bathed in a soft golden light. In the center of the room stood a group of figures, their features obscured by shadows. They spoke in hushed tones, their words weaving a tapestry of forgotten memories and lost souls. Emily couldn't understand everything they said, but she felt a profound sense of belonging, as if she had finally found others who understood her plight. I didn't know she had a plight. Oh, wow. <laughs> For days, Emily stayed with the figures in the golden room, listening to their stories and sharing her own. She learned that they were travelers like her, drawn into the back rooms from different places and times. Together, they formed a fragile community, finding solace in each other's presence. But even in the midst of companionship, Emily couldn't shake the feeling that the back rooms were not done with them. The whispers persisted, reminding her that they were still trapped, still lost in a reality that defied explanation. And so, hand in hand with her newfound companions, Emily ventured forth once more, guided by the whispers in the abyss. They faced the endless corridors together, bound by the hope that somewhere amidst the yellow walls and flickering lights they would find the key to escape the enigmatic depths of the back rooms. Yeah, wow. good job, chat GPT. And then she says, I hope you enjoyed the story. If you have any specific requests or themes you'd like in a story, feel free to let me know. You got a relationship with Chat Chaffy? You call her yeah, Chaffy? Chatty. I think Chaffy might be better. Chaffy? Yeah. She's like oh, Chat Caffy. <laughs> yeah, we'll call her Chaffy. So, yeah, I mean, um, you could probably go on all night long about the back rooms and, you know, huh. how it could actually relate to there the real world. There was a video world. game that was, I can't remember what it was, but like. You were in all these different rooms, and like you would is have to try to like find pieces to be able to get out of them. And there was always this portal? thing. No, no, uh, this there was this thing that was just like some creature that would just show up occasionally, and then just oh. like disappear back behind a wall. And like, wow! Damn. But if it like make if it saw if you made eye contact with it, then like it took your soul or whatever. <laughs> I can't remember what the game was, right? but yeah, it very made me, similar kind of thought made me think of portal a little bit because there's several parts of portal where you can kind of sneak behind a wall or a little elevator where you're not supposed to be but there's all sorts of stuff written on the walls back there and oh like yeah. that's where the whole like um the is it cake thing came from like will there be cake because they're you're always promised cake and portal and you never get it oh yeah. so it's like easter eggs from that yeah essentially so yeah. basically if you didn't get knocked out then you might have just found like a life Easter egg or something. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, it's no clipping, so you're glitching out of whatever you're supposed uh, yeah, to be. Yeah, in yeah, there. yeah. 
And so to me, it's more of a, a glitch than anything, which is why I was like, you know, if it's going to be real, then we exist in a simulation, and that's why it's real. But, well, there's a picture that goes around sometimes. It's it's from Blacksburg, where it's like this apartment complex where it's like a big long hall with the doors, but above each door is a balcony inside. Oh, You've seen weird. this before? I, it's an apartment it building somewhere familiar. in Blacksburg. Interesting. And all the balconies are the inside hallways. So like if you go on your balcony, then you're just sitting above your own front door right. across the hall from your <laughs> in a in a white hallway yeah. with nothing nothing. And it's just like, it makes me think of the Winchester that, house too when you just were talking makes about. me think of that place that's you know, just that whole Yeah. Oh, what is this? Well, kind it's of not place, right. You know? yeah. yeah, there's buildings yeah. on campus too where they've renovated them and kind of changed things, and it's like you can just tell yeah. that like something's not right here. When I was a you kid, know. I would have to go up to the school with my dad, and it's a big, big, big school with no windows and the whole building basically. Oh, right. Yeah, and like it's it'd like be Blacksburg me, High School. There'd be a couple too, teachers yeah. there, and then like me as a kid, and like in this big <laughs> open high school. I mean, this high school was built for like twenty five hundred students. Wow. Yeah. And you like be wandering these halls and like there's nobody in there and occasionally like you'd walk by a room and there'd be like a teacher in there you just kind of get a peek of and (laughs) somebody'd be walking you know custodian would like cross a hallway and you'd kind of see him right but you're like 10 years old imagine how creepy that is for the person who just knew that you walked by but didn't see you like what was that or the person that didn't know there was going to be like a 10 year old kid wandering around you know because kids are always creepier oh yeah 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 for if, sure if i if i was sitting in my living room i looked over and there's a kid in the hallway yeah. i'm moving out right then well if i know clip to the back rooms and i go around the corner and there's a little kid like ah, just shoot me now like <laughs> i don't know end. eat my face off do whatever you're gonna you just do. go like, a full uh, patience worth and stand on the front of the boat just chest out right i'm like going don't, don't make me run from you just because <laughs> yeah. running from you is scarier and, than and, just seeing you kids are scary every day of the year except for halloween <laughs> which is weird enough and it's a good uh it's a good uh round yeah on the whole show i think it's like they're definitely not very creepy on on no, on no, Halloween like, at all. They're all like yeah. wizards, and you yeah, know, they always dress up as something not scary. Stuff, Most but, kids do. Yeah. But if you were to be anywhere, if you were in, <laughs> if you were in an abandoned Walmart and you turned a corner and there was one kid, even if he just lived there and you didn't right. know it, even if he was dressed as a Power Ranger, it'd be scary. Even as if shit. it was your kid, you'd probably be terrified. <laughs> you know what I mean? If it was your own child, well, I'd definitely be terrified because I don't have kids. So that would be right. weird. Like if you just automatically knew it was yours and like, oh. Crap. looks just like you like, but you're like 10 yeah. then you'd be like okay i mean what a way to find out i'm in some weird thing here wow <laughs> so that's some creepy yeah, stuff this is not the back rooms it's the back walmart so i guess we we're both kind of like full like our people were all just making stuff up yeah or i mean just, maybe not making up but just like living in some oh, alternate thing and i forgot i i do have another um i'm sorry i've got one more this is a real back room story that has like a real thing that like you know how do you know it's real because uh because it's been confirmed that this place is real oh okay (laughs) so yeah sorry that just made me you know so we're gonna go a little bit longer i got one more story that's fine this one's a woman shares quote abandoned mall she found under her airbnb um and this is mentioned a lot in in the backroom stuff but claire shulin posted a video to her tiktok last week and this was uh 
back in May of 2021. Last week, claiming that Airbnb she and her friends were staying in was located above an abandoned mall. The TikTok has over 7 million views and has prompted a multi-part tour, which has left most commenters feeling a little creeped out. In the TikTok, Shulin walks through the abandoned space with the caption, POV, when your Airbnb has an abandoned mall in the basement. Many commenters were quick to share that they felt she was in, quote, the back rooms. According to the urban legend, the back rooms is where one will find themselves if they accidentally teleport out of reality. I don't need to go over that again. Not the yellow hallways. Get out, bestie, commented one user. In a response to the video's massive viewership, Shulin posted a video, a follow-up video the next day in which she and a friend explained that while the Airbnb was kind of creepy, they were okay. She also promised to update her audience with a tour of the mall. Gets thousands of comments to leave. To leave them, let's explore, joked one commenter. Her next video, posted later that same day, gives viewers a better idea of the space. The Airbnb appears to be a room in an old hotel. When she and her friends take the elevator to head downstairs, they find themselves in a carpeted room with old furniture. From there, they enter the mall. Like any other mall, there are elevators, staircases, and storefronts, but here, everything is abandoned. Though many commenters still found that the space... the the space to be the stuff of nightmares others were quick to post that the building is actually a resort slash mall in florida and that it's not as scary as users think this is hollywood beach resort in florida and it's being renovated said one commenter another said by the way this hotel is in hollywood beach and used to be a hospital back in the day shulin's next video was a duet with a tiktoker named wamjosh who confirmed that not only is the Airbnb real, but that it is in the Hollywood, Florida location users have claimed it to be. According to Josh, he and his friends once stayed there during a college spring break and agreed that the place felt um, like a weird simulation glitch. He also shared that the mall's cafe was still operational and was usually filled with old people, older people enjoying coffee. That's the part that creeps oh, me. Oh, that's like, yeah. like like hell's waiting <laughs> right? I'm waiting like, room there. Dude, that is straight from my horror version of the back rooms for sure. Wow. So that's all I'll read, but it is actually a place that God knows like these condos that this Airbnb was part of like were built on top of this old mall and from the outside it doesn't look like it. But, right. You know, it's like bigger yeah, on the inside weird. than it is on the outside essentially. Like, so, that's yeah, weird. It is really weird, but that's that's a real backrooms experience. There you go. Like the part where you get down to that room full of furniture and then it leads into the mall. I'm like, well, this is. <laughs> I don't. I don't have as much of a problem with that. You'd be like, whoa, this is crazy. But right. then you turn a corner and there's a, a bustling <laughs> a cafe, uh, you know, like <laughs> food court down there. <laughs> a bunch of old people having coffee, right. you know, like, oh, yeah. shit, what have I just come into? Yeah, it's kind of weird. That's, you know, I went on a trip, this is kind of related, went on that trip once to Wisconsin with a friend, and we broke down on the way back in this town called Greensburg, Indiana. Yeah. And we both, you know, long hair, big beards, you know, and uh, been camping for a couple of days, and... We just broke down in an exit town, basically, and we right. walk into this restaurant to wait because we're waiting on tow truck or whatever. And uh, we walk in there, and it's like a Denny's type restaurant, and there's forty or fifty people in there. They're all men or boys, <laughs> and like they, it's everything just stopped when we walked in, and like everybody just like dropped everything. Oh, like we're wow. looking like you could hear like silverware clinking it's like phantom ruby tuesday and yeah and like the the uh record scratch stop kind of thing and like we were like okay and so we left there but that entire town we were there for two days oh, and wow. saw two women 
the entire time we were there of any age. Interesting. Yes. And this was like an interstate highway town. Like, right. There was gas stations and Walmart and Wendy's and hotels and stuff. And we saw two women the whole time we were there. God, that's and a the short third story woman we saw happen. was the person that came with the person that was picking us up. Wow. Yeah, so it was she, all, she doesn't count. Right. Yeah. So Ooh. there you go. Greensburg, Indiana. Greensburg, Don't go. Indiana. If, you're, if your car's on fire, then stick your head out the window, blow on the fire, and make it another right. exit. Well, Nier's story reminded me, um, and I'm not going to tell what it's about, but there's a Twilight Zone episode called uh, Will, the Wh- Will the Real Martian Please Stand Up? And it's mm. an excellent episode, and it just reminded me of Zach's story. So check that one out. That's All a right. good Halloween episode. Well, that's been our... Uh, delve into october thon yeah it was fun yeah you know i mean we're good at getting dark and creepy yeah we're, uh next month we're gonna do some stuff less that's dark a, and creepy. yeah we're gonna go a little bit lighter well we, it's who a knows time to be thankful sometimes our ideas our topics do are dark. lighter but that doesn't mean that we won't go dude i think even when i've said before that mine's a little lighter it turned out being kind of dark that's so right. we'll see like we're mine just tend anyway. to go dark but i'll try hard no worries believe in myself uh while you're waiting for the month of november you know, make sure you vote for sure. Oh, right. Yeah. And yeah, also uh, go on organdonor.gov and vote to give your organs away. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you don't need those eyeballs. Yeah. Because you don't know what you're going to see. Some sort of crazy fucking food court with old people in an abandoned mall. And nobody wants to see that <clears throat> in Florida, no less. Hell's waiting room, man. Right. Because, you know, they don't have basements in Florida, right? So that's even weirder. Yeah. That's true. I didn't think about that. It's an underwater basement. <laughs> right. But yeah, anyway, I didn't look up any pictures of this real place. But how did I forget to tell that story and all the that boring-ass mm. Reddit story that I read? <laughs> which I read to show you, like, yeah, don't read the Reddit stories, but go look at the pictures of back rooms. Those are pretty cool. All yeah. right. Yeah. And uh, check out some reading by Patience Worth. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah, who was actually, what's her face? Pearl yeah. Curran. Pearl Curran. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Pearl Curran was Patience, I guess. Yeah. yeah, PC was PC, and PC was PC. PW. PW. Worth. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. Anyways, thanks for yeah. checking us out, guys, and we'll see you guys on the next Bye. one. Bye.